Today we are chatting not about Slaughterhouse-Five the novel, but Slaughterhouse-Five the comic book, aka graphic novel. We got a couple of games planned. This is going to be a mostly spoiler-free chat where we're going to kind of give you some views from the man who has never read the novel, who is reading this as a first-time experience, and me as the guy that it's his favorite novel of all time and has read it probably four or five times. You know I have it on my shelf though, right? If you are unstuck in time, you will have read it someday in the future. <laughs> Welcome to the Codex Cantina where I am Una. And I am unstuck in time crypto. Now today we're going to go through our spoiler-free and initial reactions to begin with. We've got a game called I've Heard That Before. We're going to talk about crypto's take on the novel as a first-time reader of this. We're going to play another game called Unstuck in Order. And then finally, I'll give you my take on it as someone whose favorite novel this was. And I will tell you, I pre-ordered this many, many months ago. Probably like the first person to have ever pre-ordered it started tweeting about it. I was, I was so excited once I heard this was announced. I did too. Yeah, I'm sure you were. <laughs> we're here two weeks late because Slowpoke <laughs> McGee over here forgot to pre-order the book, okay? I did pre-order it. Something happened. I didn't hit submit. My students use that excuse all the time. <laughs> I'm going to pull out that excuse, but I got it here well in time. So I was planning on just ripping into this. Like, how do you adapt the world's greatest novel, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, one of my favorite writers, right? Like, this is just going to be trash. It's going to be terrible. Uh, you know, like, the book movie guy? The guy that, like, goes to the movie? Oh, book was better. That was going to be me. I was so excited to do this. I can't. I know. This is really good. This is really, 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 really good. This is probably one of the best graphic novels, probably one of the best book-to-graphic novel adaptations that has ever happened. I agree with you, and I haven't even read the book. <laughs> I can tell. The author, Ryan North, along with Albert Montes, these guys are definitely fans and familiar with the book. Ryan, definitely. Because taking you know a 200-plus page book full of prose, and if you know Vonnegut, he's very pithy. He is very straight and journalistic to get to his points. To have figured out how to dissect that into this, th this is masterful work. Yeah, I had some you know, like questions about that, you know, to you as a person that's read the book to the graphic novel. And I don't know if this gets us off topic or anything, but for all the little nuances in this, just the subtle things from page to page of how much is crammed in here, I think we could have a 10 or 15 minute discussion literally on every panel or at least on every page, how he was able to convert that just amazes me. Like, is there really that much subtlety in the book? This is boiling it down to the key elements. There's still so much more in the novel that you're not getting. And a lot of what's in this is he's changed a lot of stuff, right? So there are times where Kurt Vonnegut will use so and very. And usually that's bad in writing because you should be using a different word. So instead of it's very good, you should say it's great right? Well, Kurt Vonnegut is so simplistic that he almost never has really difficult or pretentious words that using so and very actually works with his style. And I noticed that Ryan North will kind of change a few of the quotes. So he'll drop the so's and the varies. Uh, the book came out a long time ago. So there's going to be some old racial things such as he calls, uh, at one point he says the word Chinese we don't say that anymore, right? And yeah. I noticed that in that quote, Ryan North updated it to say Chinese at that point in time too. So he was even a little bit sensitive to the times too for how he made this. But for the most part, 90% of what's on the page is written by Kurt Vonnegut, arranged and kind of fine-tuned by Ryan North, I would say. If Albert Montez is the guy that is doing the visual stuff, that 
by far to me is the most impressive thing of the whole story that the style is just incredible i don't know much about albert but i did read an interview from him and he talked about how you know kurt vonnegut has a very pithy style for how he writes so he wanted to make sure his art represented that so he didn't want to make some crazy detailed drawings he wanted each panel to be simplistic to to have a key focus for what you're supposed to be paying attention to in that panel and he does a really good job i really liked what they call kind of like the page reveals where you'll have like a couple of smaller panels, like five or six panels, seven panels on a page, quick things happening, small amounts of dialogue because you're, you're ramping up. And then when you turn the page, that's when you have this beautiful two-page color spread of the city of Dresden, you know, either before or after it was bombed, but you just have this breathtaking, wide entry into the world which is one of the great things about comic books and he nails it in this book yeah i, I love the style and I'll, I'll show it here this this part is so cool it the, the one that's the pencil part it doesn't have page numbers but if the war were in reverse yeah and it was all in pencil and stuff and then when it flips to the actual comics by trout like that is it's so cool but it's almost like there were a dozen different artists because you can just see it as it goes from page to page the style, the coloring, it's so subtle. And the way they do it, I feel like it's very Vonnegut, uh, especially just yeah. right from the very start, how they kind of start presenting it and they say what this is and what its goal is. I felt, I, I feel like Vonnegut would be very pleased. All right, let's move into our first game here and then we'll continue the conversation. What's the rules? You don't have any. It's an Una game. <laughs> I make up the rules based on how I want to win this game, okay? So. <laughs> or how you want me to lose. <laughs> so this game is called I've Heard That Before, okay? And I'm going to give you a quote that's either from a book or from said by a character or said by a real person. I will give you some answers. You have to choose the answer that you think said this quote. Okay. This sounds familiar. I can do this. I ripped it off from you from, from the Way of Kings video. <laughs> okay, let's do All it. Right. Number one, I've heard that before. And I'm going to go start from the easiest to move into the hardest, to be fair. So you're, you're going to get these for sure, bud. Okay. Here we are, Mr. Pilgrim, trapped in the amber of this moment. There is no why. Was that said by Kilgore Trout, Una, or Trafalmadorians? Trafalmadorians. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> All right, question number two. We're getting harder. Are you ready? I was sweating bullets over that one. <laughs> question number two. I've heard that before. Like so many Americans, she was trying to construct a life that made sense from things she found in gift shops. Is that said in Slaughterhouse-Five by Jim Gaffigan, or is it in the Sirens of Titan? That's going to be Sirens of Titan. <clears throat> I'm sorry, that was in Slaughterhouse House. Five, and I picked oh. this one because something that that Ryan North clearly knows well in this text is there's a lot of callbacks throughout all this piece in terms of seeing pictures of Montana wild back, and then also being with her in the zoo, seeing the picture of the pony at the porn oh. star at the porn store, yeah. and then you had Edgar Derby with the picture of the pony as well. You know, the barber shop shows up at the party as well as in the plane when it's crashing. He has these memories that converge, and it, it even has, causes some people to kind of question what's real and what's not real with how these things are happening. Like, did he imagine some of these things because of his PTSD results from the war? And there's a lot of callback things 
here and there. So you'll notice the gift shop where she says that, you know, people construct their lives and that's when they're happiest. You'll notice that when they're leaving Dresden, there's one scene where he's got like some souvenirs, like he's grabbing a sword. Oh yeah, he's sitting on the wagon, yeah. And they said it's like the happiest day of his life. So that's kind of like a little callback to that gift shop moment, you know, souvenir moment of those are the things that make you happy. So very good for Ryan North to have picked up on that and, and been able to construct all that really well. It it truly is incredible, all the subtleties that are crammed into this novel. Number three, I've heard that before. Insanity is relative. It depends on who was locked in what cage. Was that said by Ray Bradbury, Kurt Vonnegut, or Philip K. Dick? I feel like that's Bradbury. It is Ray Bradbury. You got it. (laughs) Okay. All right, question number four. I've heard that before. All this happened, more or less. The war parts, anyway, are pretty much true. Did that come from Slaughterhouse-Five the novel, Slaughterhouse-Five the graphic novel, or was it from an interview with Kurt Vonnegut on Slaughterhouse-Five? I think that's the interview. Ooh, this came from Slaughterhouse-Five the novel. It is the opening line to the novel, actually. You'll notice the opening line to the graphic novel was, All this happened to Kurt more or less. He changed it from all this happened, more or less. The war parts anyway are pretty much true. <laughs> uh, okay. I thought that was an interview because I remember watching that interview with my students one time. There's a lot of auto fictional elements to the story for sure, but I just think it's interesting yeah. the way you know Ryan, Ryan North's cho- choices throughout this. Question number five, I've heard that before. This person said the universe is a big place, perhaps the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Richard Dawkins, Kilgore Trout, or Kurt Vonnegut? Kilgore Trout. Ooh, Kurt Vonnegut. Well, then he said it through, Kilgore Trout. (laughs) (laughs) Question number six. People need good lies. There are too many bad ones. Was that said by Elliot Rosewater, Johnny Depp, or Kurt Vonnegut? I think that's Rosewater, right? Sorry, that was Kurt Vonnegut once more. This was said in an interview with Life. Yes, I obviously don't know these interviews too well. These are tough. It's a good (laughs) quiz. I've heard that before. According to this person, they've saved over 40 children within one day's work. That is what life is about. Was that said by Paul Lazaro, the insane car thief? Lindsay Lohan, the washed-up Hollywood actress? Or Rollin Weary, the self-proclaimed war hero? Um, I'll go with the war hero. It was said by Lindsay Lohan. Lohan. I knew, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that one. I was thinking, I was like, oh, he put way too much emphasis on her. I was going to guess that, but I was like, oh, I don't want to be like, oh, I know her so much. Oh. You didn't want to shame Lindsay Lohan? Is that what it is? I didn't want to shame myself. <laughs> I will put a link to the article down below if you question her craziness. All right, question number eight. I've heard that before. Because America has never been led by xenophobes, by zealots, by hate, America is led by her people. Was this said by Edgar Derby, Howard W. Campbell Jr., or Elliot Rosewater? It's the guy when he's yelling at the American that defected. Uh, is that it's not it's it's Rosewater right Edgar Derby oh, you knew Derby? the scene 
You knew the yeah. scene. Yeah. You knew the scene. And and then Howard W. Campbell Jr. is the one he's talking to. Talking so to. Yeah. So he's I, the, I, I, figured, I figured that'd be a harder one for you. He's the Nazi, right? The American Nazi. Yeah. The traitor Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Number nine. I've heard that before. What author wrote, well done. Does anyone have another idea about why America is so exceptional? Was that said by Kurt Vonnegut Sr.? By Kurt Vonnegut Jr.? Or was it said by Ryan North? I'm going to go with Sr. It was said by Ryan North. That is one of the graphic novel original scenes when he was doing like the three-panel quick descriptions of the characters. I I didn't check every single one of them, but most of those I don't recall from the book. So those were kind of Ryan North originals, along with that previous section, the... The America is not led by xenophobes. The oh. book just says he had like an inspirational speech. So he kind of like Brian North had to invent this inspirational speech. <laughs> so those were actually Brian North originals. Really well done. Mm. All right. Last question. Number 10. I've heard that before. Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer to laugh since there's less cleaning up to do afterward. Was that said by Kurt Vonnegut, Ryan North, or Albert Montes? Montes. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Dang, I got like two out of ten right, I think. That's terrible. <laughs> He's actually said that a couple of times. I think that was just one of his stock lines he liked to bring out in interviews. Tough game, man. There was no passing that one, unless you are an expert. <laughs> I may have overestimated my experience with, with having read it four or five times. All right, let's move into our next section, which is giving you the floor to tell us and ask us questions. As a first-time reader of this graphic novel, having never read except through having it in his background and absorbing it through osmosis of the novel, what questions or what were your thoughts on this book? I absolutely love this graphic novel. Uh, I I love Kurt Vonnegut. The channel knows that. But to see something of his style put into the visuals of this. And that's one thing I just, I can't get over is the story was amazing. Uh, don't get me wrong there. And I think that they, as you said, probably adapted it very well, but it's just the visual style that somebody was able to take that. And I'm just, I'm so to me, cause I don't have any artistic ability and talent to me. That is, I feel like the most impressive part of this. I'm sure to you more, maybe the analytical stuff. Uh, and so I would ask you, you say it's down to like the nuts and bolts of the story. Like, what more, like, besides just little nuances and details is in the novel compared to this? Because I feel like there's so much in this. It's so rich, you know, for there's being such a short graphic novel. Like you said, you have a lot more introspection, which is really hard to show in a comic book, right? It's kind of like, you by remember Billy? the old... Yeah, by, yeah, it, it, you have an omniscient narrator, you move around, but it's kind of since the 60s, if you remember the Spider-Man thought bubbles, because Spider-Man would constantly, like basically give you exposition to what he's thinking that's kind of a no-no in comics right which is why adaptations are so hard so they they really did a good job of conveying the feelings visually conveying the right dialogue but you are missing a lot of the introspection there is additionally scenes that are just missing just outright from it um i don't want to say they're not critical but he didn't he didn't need them to support some of the themes that already he was able to convey in the existing panels. So my other thing is, is I guess the the big sci-fi element to this, and I feel like, again, I feel like Vonnegut does this better than most sci-fi writers, is his is very subtle, and you could take that element almost out of the story, 
and the story still works. And a lot of sci-fi stories, it doesn't. Uh, it has to be in there, otherwise the story falls apart. Because I feel like the Travel of the Fedorians are his PST, P, PTSD. Do you think that the graphic novel does an adequate job of explaining that they're probably not real? I don't think that you're meant to know one way or the other whether they're real or not. That's that would be that would be a, a, an interpretation error to assume that that interpretation is always right, because okay. we can we can take a lot of different ways of that. Right? I know some people like to take Trafalmadorians and interpret them as the Nazis. Right? They took Billy Pilgrim Billy Pilgrim out of his country. Right? They stripped him naked, and they put him on display like a humanistic display with, with this woman to live somewhere in the same way that Nazis took Jews out of their homes, put them into concentration camps, et cetera, et cetera. He never got, like the way Kurt tells the story, he doesn't get into the most grotesque moments, but he has the right surround, it's almost like a panopticon where you're you're in one spot, you can see everything that's wrong, but you're not in the moment that's wrong is the best way I can describe this novel. So do you think the novel... Or the graphic novel does a better job with the sci-fi element. No, I think the novel expands upon the Trafalgarian experience much more. Do you think maybe that subtle nuance of the graphic novel and that mystery adds more of an element to them? Like it's over-explained maybe in the novel. Because I love um, the subtlety because sometimes in here you don't even get that the Trafalgarians are there. You just get the purple because that's the color I think that the scheme they went. And you just see the little bit of purple like right here on the side. I just, I love that. We're like, oh, okay. oh, oh, that's the Child from Midorian's purple. Um, I don't know if you notice that color is always there when, like, he's going to change times or when they're present. It's hard for me to weigh in on that because since I have read the novel, I will never be able to tell you what I like from, like, a, a first experience from a graphic novel, right? Like, I'm always going to yeah. weigh that against what I already know. I can't unknow a lot of the <laughs> stuff I know about Trafalmadorians. Okay. I will say what I... What I liked better is those transitions, right? You just kind of get like a paragraph, you know, an extra little character line break in in the actual prose. The the graphic novel uses, like you said, those color panes to kind of signify that sometimes. But then sometimes just in the frame itself, you see Billy Pilgrim immersed in multiple environments. And it's just so cool the way he's like getting out of bed with his wife and then all of a sudden he's in the war camp walking out to the bathroom or in the car and on one side of his... Yeah, the, the car one's so cool. The graphic novel does a better job of helping me visualize him being in these moments because if you look at a character return line break, it, there's a clear division. I was here, now I'm here. But with him being in multiple eras in a single panel, it better embodies the all-time concept of the Trafalmadorians, to your point. All right, so two things real quick then, uh, and we can move on. When we read the actual novel together for the channel or just for fun or whatever, will your brain take what you've learned from this when you start reading it to make the mental pictures in your head. When, whenever I see a movie, I take the character names or character voices, like the voice actors and their images, and I and I and that gets applied to when I'm reading the book every time. Frodo became a different kind mm -hmm. of visual and voice yeah. when you start. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's one thing that you have to say that the book was a success if it can do that for you. The other thing is, do, does he describe what the aliens look like in the book? Yeah, a little glove think, with the, with an eye in the middle, like a little. So you hand. think they did a good good job of that then? Yeah, yeah, no, they okay. nailed it. 
I love this uh, graphic novel. I'm not a huge graphic novel, manga, comic guy. I, I appreciate them. I do enjoy them. Uh, I can't afford that as many as I would maybe like. But this nails it 10 out of 10. Easy. 11 out of 10. Uh, I've read it twice in less than a week. So, and I'll probably read it again. So let's move on to our second game called Unstuck in Time. All right. Good, because I'm running out of time. <laughs> You're running out of time. Oh. all right so what i'm going to do is list events that happened in the story and you're going to and and now billy experiences them out of time but you mr crypto unfortunately are stuck in time now imagine we took this novel and rearranged everything to be in perfect linear fashion okay starting from when billy's first born all the way up to when he dies in order okay 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 i'm going to give you three events you're going to have to tell me which one happened first chronologically and you can use you are a history teacher. One of these I designed specifically to be a history-specific question. Okay. All right, question number one. We're at seven. What happened first? Billy enters the army. Billy enters optometry school. Or Billy is admitted to the hospital. Billy goes into the army. No, he is entered actually into optometry school first and exits when the war starts. Oh, I got that totally wrong. I thought he went to optometry school when he got home. He finishes it when he gets home. It's kind of a, that was a tricky one. I kind of tricked you. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Because I thought that that's when he cracks and he goes into the hospital. When he comes back, that's when that all happens. But he first entered into optometry school before before entering into the war. Oh, okay. Didn't pick that up. What happened? And part of this is also those little nuances are meant to kind of help some people potentially because... The novel is, is harder to follow. The graphic novel is much easier to follow. And I thought this might help some people to, to some of these scenarios. Cool. All right, so what happened first? Billy learned to swim. Billy received a gift store cross. Billy became a Shepland's assistant. Uh, I think it's the assistant. The assistant was 1943, right before the war. The gift shop was 1933 when his mother oh. went to Santa Fe. And he learned to swim at the ripe young age of six in 1928 when his father threw him into the pool. Okay. Well, it's kind of that defining moment. And part of why I chose these two is, is that's really a defining moment for Billy where he realized that he, he almost kind of wished that he had died. He had been saved by someone else. And he just felt powerless at the expense of others. So it's well, kind of a very... his whole life. No spoiler, yeah. but through the whole book, that's yeah. his kind of personality. That's his defining right. characteristic. Right, so that happened to him when he was six. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of why I picked that one. All right, number three, what happened first? Kilgore Trout is invited to an anniversary party. Billy Pilgrim meets Valencia, or Billy Pilgrim meets Montana Wild Hack. Uh, Valencia meets Valencia. That is correct, sir. He met Valencia sometime after the war between 1945 and 1947. All right, question number four. What happened first? Billy Pilgrim writes a letter about Trafalmadorians. Billy Pilgrim is abducted by Trafalmadorians. Or Billy Pilgrim's plane crashes into the mountains. Uh, the mountain one had to be last because he had already been to the Trafalmadorians because he knew he was going to be the only survivor. Writes the letter before he meets them, right? No, he's abducted first. He writes the letter abduct- in 68. 60- he writes okay. the letter in 68. He's abducted in 67. Okay. And then the plane crashes after that. 
Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. So abducted, letter, plane crash. All right. Number five. What happened first? We have the air bombing of Dresden, the Battle of the Bulge, or the Battle of Berlin. Okay. So it would have been <laughs> Bulge. We found the history. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it would have been Bulge bombing Berlin, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, our history teacher passes that one. Woo! Ooh, I got one right. <laughs> All right, number six. What happened first? The optometry party. Billy learns about all time, or Billy sneaks medicine while a being a prisoner in war. Prisoner of war. Okay, so I know it's not the first one. I think it's he learns about all time. Yeah, so he, it's kind of weird because he learns about all time in 67, but then he's able to kind of move and experience it all at once, much like our most recent short story, The Stories of Your Life by Ted Chang, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting the way it kind of, it, it's just mind-blowing when you sit down to think about all these events and when they happened. It's, it's kind it's of interesting. It's my mind right now. <laughs> well, it, and I wanted to pick some of these out because it kind of helps orient you, I think, because the story does jump around so much and it's fantastic and you're okay with being lost. Once you start applying structure to it, it's like, oh, this is such an interesting book. I almost feel like that giving it structure might take away a little bit from it. Like being confused as you go along this adventure with Billy is part of the experience because you're not beholden to our traditional linear way of thinking of time where if you never learn those things, you're kind of lost still. You can kind of appreciate more, I think, Billy's understanding of uh, of being unstuck in time. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think part of the idea is you're meant to feel powerless. Like there's this idea of these huge... I mean, a big theme of this, I'm sure you picked up on this, is that there's these huge moving elements that you can't control in terms of these wars that are being fought and how the the children, the babies, are the ones that are thrown at it. And they don't really have much of a choice. They're just kind of brought along. And, and you had two different moments where you had like that quote about the serenity and the ability to recognize what you can't control and yeah. recognize what you can control. That kind of comes, again, the callback, right? It was on Montana uh, Wild Hacks necklace, and it was also on the uh, optometry poster, poster or whatever. Yeah. So again, you have that question of, did it really happen? Did it not? There's a callback moment there. But um, a lot of that is is kind of like an argument for this book, that you can't control these things, but the things that you can control is, are you being a good person and a loving individual in the moment? Yeah. All right, hit me with number seven. All right, number seven, the last one. What happened first? We've got Billy is elected president of the Lions Club. We've got Billy mates with Montana Wild Hack in the Trofalmadorian Zoo. And we've got Billy blacks out at a party. Uh, I think he's with Montana first, right? That's the last one. I thought it was that one, and then the party happens. He's abducted and brought to the zoo in 1967. Yeah. That party he is his 1961. Uh, oh, I thought it was 71. And he's elected as the president of the Lions Club in 1957. Okay, I thought that all happened after, like in the the, the 70s. Well, and, and isn't that okay to kind of convey this confusion? You know, it's 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 what I think a lot of Americans experienced after the war. And, you know, Kurt, when he came back, he had the inklings for what this novel could be, but, you know, obviously it wasn't written. And it was he came out with four or five other books before he even attempted this one because it was just so hard to go back to that moment. You know what I mean? Like he didn't even witness the firebombing of Dresden, 
Like he jokes about how he just slept in the basement <laughs> while this, these fire bombings are happening. They open up the, the basement gates to find the entire city destroyed. So he wasn't even in the horror, but he was so affected by it. It took him years to figure out, how do I share this experience with people? And this is the, the novel that he felt could convey that. I wish I had the ability to take my personal problems and deal with my own issues into a way of writing or drawing and something like this so creative and make it lucrative at the same time, right? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Well, and we have that quote in the beginning of this. The Dresden atrocity, tremendously expensive and meticulously planned, was so meaningless, finally, that only one person on the entire planet got any benefit from it. I am that person. I wrote this book, which earned a lot of money for me and made my reputation such as it is. One way or, one way or another... I got two or three dollars for every person killed. Some business I'm in, Kurt Vonnegut. So, Oof. Yeah. That hurt. That's bulls on your heartstrings right there, right? Yeah. 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 So, it, so if I'm going to look at this as just a graphic novel, like I said, this is one of the greatest adaptations that's ever happened. This is one of the greatest graphic novels I've ever read. I absolutely love it. Is this, is this a replacement for the novel? No, it's not. Is this a great way to get maybe someone who's not really into literary fiction to still pick up on some of the themes and the beauty of what Kurt was able to express? It's great for that. It doesn't try to imitate it. It knows that it's a graphic novel and represents, you know, in that art form, a lot of what I think Kurt was going in his art form. So I, I can't help but say it's not the novel, but it wasn't trying to be. So don't try and judge it against that. So one thing that I think um, might sound counterintuitive, but I think it's kind of to your point earlier about not it not being expressed from a linear perspective. The art was so simple and beautiful, and it did convey emotions really well. However, it did subtract from even more of the chaotic feeling that you have while reading the novel. The novel is much more of an assault on my senses when I read it, I want to say, than the graphic novel. Like The visuals grounded me which is really positive but it also is kind of a negative because you lose some of that chaotic feeling i feel like when you're reading the novel so it detracts from your own imagination making it the same as maybe what they experienced in the war because your imagination is always worse than anything that you know somebody can come up with right and like i said it makes some things clearer but does clearer mean better and i think emotionally maybe for some people it is but for me I lost some of that chaotic feeling. Some of the the extreme loss wasn't as prevalent in this as the actual novel itself, I would say. This is going to sound terrible. I mean, this is my favorite book. Don't get me wrong. I think the graphic novel does a good job of conveying the most important themes, the most important scenes, and does a very unique job of presenting that, that I think it is a acceptable substitute if someone wouldn't read the book at all. I'd, if, if, it's, if it's, I'm not going to read this book, or I will at least read the graphic novel. Yes, you should read the graphic novel. It's it's a story I think a lot of people should consume because I think it conveys a generation that we no longer in, we don't interact with this this generation as much. The the babies sent to war. The generation we interact with are people that typically chose to go to war. That's such a broad statement. I know there's people that uh, you know have have 
don't have money and, and join the army and were forced to go places they didn't want to go. Like, there's no perfect statement that can express this. But as far as the generation of World War II with the draft happening, there was a much broader stroke of individuals that experienced this loss that they couldn't articulate. And and I think reading this novel is the closest we'll ever get to experiencing that. Wow, powerful stuff there. Well, all right, guys. Hopefully you had some fun here today. Hopefully you learned a little bit about our perspective on this book. We'd love to hear if you guys have read it, what your thoughts are. If you haven't read it and you're now considering purchasing it, let us know what you think once you do get it or let, that you're purchasing it. We'd love to hear from you on this because this is definitely something that was very interesting and engaging for us. So with that, we post videos every Monday and Thursday. We'd love for you to hit that subscribe button and join us on the literature adventure. Una out. Peace.